Hello, welcome to North Coast Calvary Chapel's audio podcast. My name's Chuck Butler, and I oversee two ministries here at the church, Mars Hill, which is not the UFO ministry. Uh, Mars, Hill, <laughs> Mars Hill is apologetics, defending the faith, addressing critical issues of the day, theology and that sort of thing. We bring in professors and, and people from across the country to, uh, to teach us beyond our means. So we have a wonderful staff and a great staff for training and education, but we know we don't know everything. So we bring in experts, and that's what Mars Hill is kind of all about. The other side of me, or the flip side, is the, is the arts. And it's kind of interesting that, that I'm in both of those ministries, and Psalm 119 is, is, is both studious and kind of an intellectual thing in and of itself, but it's also artistically laid out and beautifully created and fashioned over a lifetime. We don't know exactly the author. It may not be a David psalm, but Ezra was accredited with it at one point, and uh, different scholars have different opinions about who wrote. So we're not just becoming Davids. We're looking at other singers and other songs as we go through the book of Psalms. But I, I chose uh, 119, and I asked Mark if he had any advice. Uh, it, it, you know, in choosing 119 with so many verses, I said, do you have like, any one little thing in your, in, in your like, briefcase of, of pastoral things that you could give me in order to teach Psalm 119 effectively. And he thought for a moment and said, are you still there? <laughs> I will need that one this morning. But, but don't worry, even though it's the longest psalm, all the meals will be catered in during this service. So. <laughs> but Psalm 119 is a treasury. It's full. Uh, there are stories about all the people who've written songs from it, and stories about those who have memorized the entire psalm. It's ordered with access in mind. It wants us to go there to the word of God and stay there. For the word of God is the foundation of our faith. It's all about memorization. It's at the very center of our Bible, right smack in the middle of all the verses of the Bible. And I think this morning God's about to get our attention in a special way. You see, the author had been through the ringer. Now, I had to explain this to a few millennials and younger people last night, that, that someone had, who has been through the ringer, see, I went to my grandma's house back in the day, and she would have the clothes you know, on, on this big tub, and they would come out soaking wet, and then you had to put them, what was called, through the, the ringer. So you had a hand crank that turned these two cylinders against each other, and you had to carefully take each piece of of material, of cloth and, and clothing, and, and put it in there, and then crank, and, and it, it dripped all the water out, stretched all that water. We don't have the, you know, didn't have the spin things and all that good stuff. Eventually, they came up with a, an electric ringer, and that was kind of scary, because you had no manual control. Now it's just, and your, you know, your fingers could get caught. But someone who's been through the ringer has had a lifetime of testings and struggle. Whoever wrote Psalm 119 had a life like that of accusations, false accusations perhaps, uh, intimidations, discouragement, suffering. Uh, it reflects all of that in each of the individual verses that make up that particular psalm. Well, let me begin with a little bit of, of my story. The main function of the little toe on the foot is to make sure that all of the furniture in the house is in place. So, so last Friday, 
I burst into the chapel with my sunglasses on in the morning, preparing for the evening, and uh, my big toe met one of the concrete pillars in the chapel. And I thought, am I going to be able to sing tonight? And then I was thankful. Okay, I didn't break my jaw, but I came close to breaking my toe. And I, and I thought, okay, the function of the little toe is to make sure all the furniture is in place in the house. What is the function of the big toe then? And I tried to come up with some crazy thing about the church and how I certainly couldn't kick it down with my foot. And I'd come up with some kind of, of, of analogy or, or picture of was a function. But then I thought about function. What is the function? I thought about this weekend and my opportunity to preach. And I thought, what is the function of the Word of God? The function of the Bible in our lives? Two weeks ago, we had Jay Warner Wallace uh, speaking uh, at a Mars Hill event. He's a cold case uh, detective that has become uh, an expert apologist. And he was telling a story about when he was a, before he was a believer, that he was investigating things about the faith. And as he read the Bible, he said I, he was troubled because he kept finding himself there. And I had to think about that. And I thought, you know, that really, that really is true. I, as a young Christian, I kept finding myself in the Bible, but I kept finding myself on the negative side of things. I kept finding myself in lists of things that you're not supposed to do. Refinement had just begun as a young Christian. And so I found myself in all these lists that really were disturbing to me, because there I was again in the Bible. But not in the character and the attitude and the behavior and the, the kinds of life that I wanted to live. So I began a quest, a quest to figure out what is it that God really wants us to be. And I became overwhelmed after time. And we're going to talk about that this morning. I found over 200 things in the book of Romans that Paul suggests that we as Christians ought to be. And I thought, well, that's, that's a lot to work on. That could be exhausting. And it did become that for me rather exhausting. Well, we'll get back to that in a minute. But it was 1976, and it was my first of six summers of mission opportunity and my first time of smuggling Bibles out of those six years, uh, smuggling Bibles into Eastern Europe. And the opportunity to move with the team and to memorize everything and to show up and meet, meet Christians that were under persecution and had no access to the resources that we just take for granted and have on our shelves every day. It was amazing to search out this one particular Romanian pastor. We entered his modest little house and had a bag with us with the one gift that we could provide for him. And we crossed the carpet in his living room that his wife had woven on her loom that was in the corner. She watched us very carefully as we opened the bag and stepped forward toward her, toward her husband. And we handed him a very heavy volume. And he reached out and grabbed it and held it in his hands like this. And we explained to him that this was the entire translation of the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, in his own native language in Romanian. And he began to weep. And we wondered, well, why is he weeping? I mean, it's a wonderful gift, but... And he explained to us that 
for all the years he'd been in ministry, he only had two books of the Bible, Ephesians and 1 Timothy. And we asked him, well, how is it that we hear that you've planted so many house churches across Romania and that you've raised up leadership and, and, and seen people come to the Lord? How is that possible with only two books of the Bible? He said, well, Ephesians taught us how to, uh, how to plant churches and how to grow churches and what church was all about. And 1 Timothy was how to train leaders. And so we trained up men and women to oversee those home groups. And he said, but now, now we have Moses and David. Now, now we have Luke. And now we have so many others, not just Paul, who can help us build a foundation that will lead us toward freedom. This was his anticipation. And for maybe 13, 13 to 16 years, he suffered with his family and that church and those churches, house churches, under persecution. Difficult times. But he was prepared now because he had a good foundation. We're going to talk about two things this morning, and they're in your outline. By the way, we're going to cover the first half. You know, we had rehearsal last night and at the service, and so, so we're going to cover the first half of, of the notes that I've provided for you. But I want you to pay attention this morning, if you would please, to the scripture, and not so much to the commentary. The commentary is for your benefit for later on to study and peruse and, and see if, if, if you agree. But scripture, uh, it, it's tough. I, I find it difficult to argue with scripture. Um, scripture is so powerful. God's word lays the foundation toward freedom. I think we need this balance in our lives of both intellectual input and emotional expression. And this is where the church has, has some, in some ways has lost its, its, its way. It doesn't know how to balance the two. Both are necessary. Life in the spirit but a foundation from which that life is known and understood because God is revealed through his word. Not that we would worship the word, but that we would worship God. So there has to be this balance, and I'll ask them to bring up that first chart this morning just to get you a, a picture of the balance and the idea of balancing spirit and truth. And this is what this pastor in Romania was doing, beginning to lay a foundation through the word of God that would set things up for what was to come. Freedom. That's what the Bible is supposed to do. It's not supposed to bind you up, but set you free. And so we need both in our lives. We need the Word of God, and we need the Holy Spirit. And some people and some churches and groups have decided that one of those is favorable over the other. And so somewhere in this arch that we've created on the screen, there is this incremental positioning of you and I and our experience, and then churches and denominations across the map and around the world. So if you've been in enough of them, you know they express themselves very differently. And some talk more about being studious and into the Bible. And others talk about experiencing God like, wow, like kids' games. So kids' games, I don't, let me tell you about kids' games really briefly. Kids' games, I don't know if you got a chance to taste any of it, but I learned so much from the kids. Here's what I learned. I didn't just watch them as a bunch of VBS, you know, kids, vacation Bible school kids, who were showing up and, and kind of being babysat during the summer. These kids knew the words to every song they sang. Not only did they know them, 
but you could tell they believed them. And they sang with, in a way that puts sometimes our worship to shame on Sunday mornings or Saturday nights. They really believed what they were singing. The first song that I really was impressed by was Speak Life. Because you can't speak life into, into other people's ex- experiences and, and, and existence unless you know the word. And that's a necessity, that we get it ingrained into us so that now we can impart life to people. But the other song they sang was really powerful as well. My Lighthouse. He's my lighthouse. So the word is a lamp unto our feet, Psalm 119, and a light unto our path that directs us again toward freedom. And boy, these kids were freed up. They were bouncing all over the place, but man, they knew every word. They knew every sign that went along with every word in the song. They owned it before their parents and before God and before the world and unashamed. That's where we ought to be. You see, the Spirit of God brings the freedom that we need. But the Word of God is the foundation that affords and presents that opportunity for us to move forward. So the Bible is foundation to our being set free. So let's go. Oh, you saw that. Freedom always requires a foundation. Not only our worship of God, but actually everything we do requires a foundation. I was actually going to change the the message title. It says God's word, the foundation of our worship. I think it's the foundation of our everything. It's true today in America, as it was and still is in Eastern Europe and throughout the world, that freedom requires a foundation. And so I selected just a few of the verses from Psalm 119 for us to look at. Here's the first one, verse 7. I will praise you with an upright heart as I learn your righteous laws. You see, pure worship emerges from a pure foundation. Sometimes we feel tainted and not fitting in when it comes to worship. Other people are into it, but for some reason we're holding back. Pure worship emerges from a pure foundation. Worship should bring forth from a transformed heart, mind, and life. It springs forth and acknowledges our need also for order, boundaries, and righteous law. Look at this next verse, verse 11 in Psalm 119. Some of you know this well. I've hidden the word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And I, I like to think of that in relation to God. I've hidden the word in my heart that I might not sin against you. But with my brothers and sisters, I've hidden his word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And sometimes that's the hardest one to keep. We see other people. We're disappointed disappointed by other people. We're hurt by other people. It's easy to hurt back. Another verse, verse 18. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. So the Holy Spirit, remember our arch that we looked at, the Holy Spirit on the spirit side of, side of things opens our eyes to the reality and application of his word. So the, the Holy Spirit, we need to pray and invite him to open our eyes as we open the book. You know, and, and you have to 
look back at Psalm 1 that we dealt with with James last week, where in Psalm 1, he basically talked about keeping our knees on the ground, our nose in the book, in order to experience the streams of abundance, he called it. If you want to get to the freedom and the streams of abundance and the spirit life, it starts by with your nose in the book and your knees on the ground. It's surrender. The spirit opens our eyes, illuminates the word for us. You know, church history sometimes teaches us about imbalance. I used to teach church history at a Bible college. It's, it's rough. It's not pretty. And it teaches us some really interesting imbalances. But in church history, there's also some wonderful balances that people have discovered. Trying to balance that whole thing between experience and truth. Both are necessary. There's a great pendulum every 50 to 70 years, if you've studied church history, 50 to 70 years, there is this shift, this this paradigm shift in the church internationally, around the world, from emotionalism to intellectualism, and then it swings back that pendulum the other way again 50 or so years later. And there's a constant shifting back and forth between the two. Perfect picture of our idea of the necessity of understanding, and that's what you're standing under, you know, that's your brains. Paul says, I sing with the Spirit, I sing with the understanding, I pray with the Spirit, and I pray with the understanding. And the understanding is what you're standing under. It's, it's your ability to think and reason. But we need to be set free also and enjoy the Spirit interaction with God. So a great pendulum exists. Where are you in that pendulum? Jesus, the New Testament writers and church history teach balance, moderation between spiritual life and academic life. God is a spirit, Jesus said in John 4.24, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. And then in Paul says, I will pray with the spirit and pray with the understanding. Church groups and denominations often aim, and here's our next chart, lean or land, they either aim or they lean toward or they land toward one extreme or the other. And so somewhere again, you are on this chart. I'm on that chart. I've had different kinds of experiences on the, on the educational academic side of things and on the spiritual experiential side of things. So I'm somewhere on that chart. Where are you? Where is this denomination or this non-denomination? Where are we in this whole thing? Are we balancing and appropriately setting straight in our lives these two important elements of being a Christian, these pillars on which we stand? You see, the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So we need the Spirit because it's, it bears witness with our spirit that we're actually believers, that we've actually been transformed, that we've been changed and become Christians. But you see, the Word also is imparted to us and is written that we may know that we have eternal life. So we need the Word to affirm that we are believers. We need the Spirit to affirm that we are believers. You can't throw one away, as some have done. There are two prerequisites for worship. You must be, according to Ephesians, filled with the Holy Spirit. According to Colossians 3.16, 
you must let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Both of these, they're like musical sisters or twins in the New Testament, teach us something about worship. That you, you must be filled with the Spirit in order to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your heart to the Lord. And you must be also allowing the word of God to dwell in you richly in order to do the same. And they're almost identical verses, but the prerequisites are different. And the two prerequisites are what we're talking about today, spirit and truth. Now, there is a traditional story about Psalm 119. Not biblical, traditional. King David, they say, used Psalm 119 to teach his son Solomon the alphabet, along with the statutes of the God that they served. So seeing God's word personally impacting people in 35 plus countries that I've had the privilege of going to, that's global impact and a relevancy that we need to pay attention to. I've seen changed lives. We have our kids, you and me, and then we have these spiritual children. As we lead people to Jesus, we have these spiritual children around the world that are coming to Jesus and, and, and being impacted by the word of God. So what does the scripture say? Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. So how did we raise our two sons? Well, we, we raised them, and some would think maybe we isolated them in a library somewhere and forced them to, to, to read volumes upon volumes of information. No, 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 we read it to them. We didn't depend on the church to feed them the word of God. We fed them the word of God. And so every day, we read one chapter of Proverbs, so that means you can go through the book of Proverbs in one month and then repeat. And every day we read five psalms. So every month, there's 150 psalms, you get to go through the entire book of psalms every month and then repeat. And we read it to them from their infancy to their teen years. Did we always have time? Did we ever have cornflakes get in the way? Was there ever issues? Yes, of course. But we thought as long as we would impart to them the wisdom of Solomon and the heart of David, by the time they got into their teen years, maybe there would be some fewer bumps to deal with along the way. On the home front, our sons got the word of God from us. But mind you, we had at that time, and this is how long ago that was, there was no TV. We didn't allow it. No, there was TV, but we didn't allow it in our house. There were no computers. There was no internet. There were no cell phones. It was wonderful. <laughs> we played Bible charades every night. We, we enacted things. We took our robes and our pajamas and we created costumes and acted out all the stories in the Bible. And we looked at heroes and we looked at winners and we looked at losers and we studied them. We did daily readings, and we still read the Bible through every year using the daily walk as a march from Genesis to Revelation. There's a three-year Bible reading plan here at the church that you could get plugged into that would start you on the journey to understanding the Bible better, and you might consider looking at that online. So our kids grew familiar with wisdom, with the King James Version and various other translations as we imparted it to them, but you know... After a while, it, it made them a little bit sassy, a little bit on top of things. 
So if one of them slept in during you know, school day and slept a little too late, wasn't up getting their cornflakes, I'd hear one say to the other in, in the bunk beds, how long wilt thou sleep, O sluggard? When wilt thou arise out of thy sleep? You know, or Proverbs 6.6, 6, it says, go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. You know, we lived in England for four years, so it was, they'd picked up on all these accents, and they were using them King Jamesishly, you know, toward one another. And if, sometimes I was the culprit. I was the one who, you know, dad made mistakes along the way. And then the word would come back at me like this. Dad, you do know that he that troubleth his own household shall inherit the wind. Proverbs 11:29. You remember that from breakfast? Yeah. And so it came back somewhat to haunt us. But pointing out what the Bible had to say regarding what not to do became more and more evident in our lives as we read the Bible to all of us as a family. My wife and I began to struggle. We knew what to do, but it became these innumerable assignments to try to be the perfect Christian. To try to be the one who, who had developed it all, who had it all down. So are you still with me? Okay, ask yourself this. Was the word of God intended by God to enslave us, to burden us beyond any sense of freedom or accomplishment? Or was it meant to introduce us to our most certain inability to fulfill the law? And then when all hope was exhausted, provide for us a way by which we can live in unashamed victory and freedom. So I think it was the latter. That was God's intent. Not to bind us by the word of God, but to lead us toward real freedom in the spirit. Both the spirit and the word are meant to be liberating in our lives. Now let's talk as we kind of wrap things up with a few more verses from Psalm 119. I'll close with this. Talking about exhaustion. There are two, there's two kinds of exhaustion that I see happening in the world today. Exhaustion from sin and exhaustion from works. Now, we may find ourselves from time to time in either or, or both of those categories. So my wife and I began to struggle with this whole idea of what we were supposed to do or be as Christians. And with all those assignments we had in the book of Romans alone, over 200 things we were supposed to develop in our lives to be the most amazing Christian, it, it was depressing, overwhelming. We, 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 we tried really, really hard to pull it off, to work on all of those things at one time. But then we just decided, you know, we should do this the same way you eat an elephant, one bite at a time. So every time we approach the word of God, we now said to God, God, what are you saying here that you want us to be? What is it that you want us to become or to be as a result of reading these verses in the Psalms or whatever book you happen to be reading? And as we did that, we began to find one thing leap out at us from the scripture. Be merciful. And that's all we worked on that day. Be discerning. And that's all we would work on that day. 
be patient. And that's all we would work on. And as we went through the day, circumstances were such, sure enough, God is faithful, that we would be tested in that arena of patience or being loving or being considerate or being patient. Each, each bee that came our way during the day, a phone call, an encounter, a, a testing, it, it, it was like we not only got a chance to learn from it and grow, but we got to impart that thing that God was in, it, invading our life with onto other people because someone else was struggling with patience. Someone else was struggling with being loving. Someone else could not forgive. And when God tells you, be forgiving, concentrate on that that day, and you'll find there's opportunity along the way for you to be forgiving. So our load totally lifted. And the word of God began to move us toward feeling free again, not bound by laws, but, but basking in the grace of God and allowing our lives to be transformed with each of these elements that are hidden in the word of God that will spring out at you if you'll read it and consider it. Verse 25, and we sort of sang this this morning already. Uh, there's a, a line in the song that they closed with, and I, I asked them to do that song because it, it's so similar to what the scripture says. Verse 25, I'm laid low in the dust. Here I am, God, totally, completely exhausted. What exhausts you? Is it sin? It can be exhausting. I, I, I remember trying to hide what I consider to be an iniquity or a troubling thing in my life. As a young Christian in my environment, in the community I was uh, living with in Orange County, none of the believers I knew smoked. Now, I'm not condemning anyone for smoking. You may enjoy a cigar, a, a pipe. My dad was a pipe smoker. Uh, my parents smoked their whole lives. And uh, uh, maybe you're vaping, I don't know. But maybe you enjoy it. And I absolutely loved it when I got hooked around 13 or 14 years of age. But by the time I was a young Christian, I realized no one around me was smoking. And I was the one who always smelled funny and had to hide the smoke and hide the cigarettes and, hide, and, and, and pretend that I could, uh, you know, be, I could be this acceptable, accepted Christian in their midst. But it was, it was eating at me because I was a singer, a uh, public speaker. I, I, I was growing into all those things in my life, but also messing around with the temple of God and, and in having it being invaded by this potential cancer causer. I knew what was happening, but I couldn't control it because I absolutely loved it. And I went to God in kind of a confession way, finally, frustrated at not being able to quit. And, and I said, okay, here's what I'm confessing. There's some limitation here. I'm confessing that I love smoking. I absolutely love it. I love it after a meal. I love it when I'm driving down the road with a cigarette hanging out the window. I love it because it looks cool. I love it because I have this hand and, and, and oral fixation. And I, I love it, the taste of it. I love the smell of it. I, I loved it all. I love the packaging. I love the names of the brands. I love the lighters. I, I had it all. I had the, the whole world was filled with smoke. 
in my life. And I confess this to God. Look, I love this. And it's lo- it's, that love is bigger than a love I'm trying to develop with you, God. And I'm telling you, that's the truth. It's, it's overtaken my life. And maybe there's something in your life today that you feel has overtaken your life. That, that the love for it, the love for what you do, the love for what you have, the, what, the love of what you don't have and want, that love is completely overwhelming you and distracting you from growing up and being a real Christian. And I thought, I can't beat this because I love it. And then I found Hebrews, the book of Hebrews. And I read about Jesus and it said two things about him. And I was shocked. First of all, it said, Jesus loved righteousness. Now, I, I, I got that. Yeah. He was the epitome of righteousness. And he loved righteousness, righteous acts, things of mercy, things of kindness. This was the Jesus with the sheep on his shoulder. This was the the kind and gentle shepherd. And then it said this, and he hated iniquity. Wait, 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 wait. My Jesus, my loving, kind, gentle Jesus has hatred? Yep. It says he hated iniquity. And for this reason, he came because he loved righteousness and he hated iniquity. He's going to deal with it. And in my heart, you see, this was my, my problem, my situation. It was iniquity to me. It was wrong. I, I wanted to stop. I didn't know how. And I prayed this prayer. And here's something similar. Go to the next verse, if you would. Psalm 119, 37. Turn my eyes away from worthless things, things that are actually going up in smoke. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life. I didn't know how to preserve my life. I was destroying my life. Preserve my life according to your word. That's what I need you to do, Jesus. I need you to teach me something. I know how to love smoking. I need you to teach me. How can I hate this? Teach me, show me, make me. Please, Jesus, make me hate smoking. He did it. Took a few days, and suddenly, everything I came in contact with smelled like smoke. It made me sick to my stomach. I couldn't stand the smell. I could no longer stand the taste. I could no longer stand being in a place where people were... It just completely changed because I prayed, God, I don't know how to hate something I love so much. You have to teach me. You have to show me. Because you know how to hate. Hate that which is killing you. Hate sin. Another way we're exhausted, not only by sin, but we're exhausted by perfectionism. We're exhausted by trying to be everything the Bible tells us to be. We, we know about the things we're not supposed to do. We see ourselves on those lists and we go, well, sometimes I'm in that list. Sometimes I'm on that list. Sometimes I'm doing this sin. Sometimes I'm in this sin. And, 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 and we find ourselves there, but we now we find ourselves not being able to develop as a Christian because we're concentrating on trying to be them all and maybe impress somebody. 
that you know or want or love. You're trying to impress the community. You're trying to put on airs with others to make yourself look super spiritual. You've got it all down. You've been working so hard on developing all of these attributes and characteristics in your Christian experience. And you're actually exhausted, completely out of energy and focus. I would challenge you to stop and come to back to just one thing that you work on each day. It, it's a simple gospel. Jesus said, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. And all of you are trying to fulfill the law? Good luck. Only one fulfilled the law. It was Jesus himself on your behalf so that you could come into a transformational experience one step at a time. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back out. They're going to close us with a song, but I want to give you an opportunity this morning for those of you that are exhausted. I don't just mean physically exhausted. I'm talking about the exhaustion that one feels when you're trapped in sin. The exhaustion you feel when you feel like there's, there's no way out. There's no fixing this. There's no cure. There's no remedy. There's no healing. There's no transformation. Or those of you that are exhausted by works, those of you that are exhausted by trying to do it all, and you just want to say, okay, I, I, I'm, I'm going to be done with trying to perfect my life. I'd like you to do it, God, your way, which is completely baptized in grace and mercy, and a, a temperance toward learning, a, a, a gradual development of learning. Let the, let the weights just fall off your shoulders this morning. The weight of works or the weight of sin as they come in and sing. And then I'm going to invite you actually, as they're singing to meet the prayer team right up here. I'm going to ask the prayer team to come right now because I think some of you need prayer. I need prayer. I've surrendered myself to so many <laughs> prayer teams and, and situations over, over the times of my life when I knew I'd hit a wall, when I knew that something needed to change, something needed to be healed or forgiven. I wasn't being... I wasn't done I needed to have more of Jesus touching my life, the Spirit of God touching my life. So as they sing, I'm going to have the prayer team come now, and anyone on the prayer team can come to the front, and I want you to meet them here. This is a moment of, of freeing yourself from the exhaustion from sin and sinful practices. Things that you count in your life as, as debilitating, destroying you, going up in smoke. And also to be freed from a life of perfectionism, depending on works rather than depending on grace and faith. It's a simple gospel, but it's also one that requires surrender. Surrender. 
It's not going to change you unless you surrender. Let's sing together. And you come, if you wish, right up here and meet the prayer partners right at the front here. If that's your situation. Let's sing together. Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, please visit our website, northcoastcalvary.org.